0: If you don't know what else is possible, how can you imagine it?
1: Hey there, this is Christopher Stacer with Vital Revival Podcast. This is episode five. Today, we're gonna be speaking with a friend of mine here in Salt Lake City, Utah, by the name of Barry Moniak. His company is called End in Mind. And one of his big projects right now is called Befriending Fear. Barry, at the age of 65, is um, a skier, he's been a martial artist, he's done a lot of amazing experiences over his life, um, and is now a corporate consultant and uh, public speaker. It's gonna be really fun to dive into some more philosophical ideas today on the nature of fear, how to befriend fear, and I think you're gonna really enjoy the the conversation. There's a lot of inspiration for me in this conversation and should be a lot of fun. Uh, Just a couple notes, Uh, hopefully you're finding the podcast through SoundCloud, through Stitcher, or of course iTunes, Google Play. There's lots of ways to find it. We'd love to get your reviews and and encourage interaction as well. And um, you can do that through SoundCloud and um, on the Vital Revival Facebook page as well. So if you haven't made a point to connect with us in different ways, I'd love to get your input and um, also um, have conversations on the topics of interest to you. Hopefully we're gonna, providing some value for you and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this conversation. So with that being said, let's jump in to Barry Moniak. Well, Barry, here we are, we're finally doing this. Yes, we are. I'm really excited. Uh, as you know, we're, um, we've been friends and colleagues for a long time. And this is our first time to I think, really sit down have a
0: conversation especially when it's being documented yes that's scary right (laughs) (laughs) or exciting or exciting
1: right Yeah. so um yeah and i i know we're going to talk about fear it's actually one of the topics that you know a little something about but um the company that you have and in mind i'd love to hear a little bit about how that
0: got started and especially the name i'm just curious it, it got started with a, a preoccupation that I had for wanting to understand where people thought they were going. So whether it was personal, interpersonal, organizational, did they know where they wanted things to end up? Right. And too often when I would ask that kind of a question, how, how will you know that you've arrived or that it's done? I could see their eyes glaze over that they hadn't really thought that part through. Well, I was doing things like uh, backpacking Mm -hmm. for weeks at a time. And I found it interesting that we'll jump in our car and, and just take off without thinking about, is the car okay? But when you do something like backpacking, before you head out on the trail... You've gone through that pack how many dozens of times to make sure do I have every single thing that I will need on my journey? Because if I don't, it could cause me a problem. It could cost me my life. Yeah. Uh, In talking to pilots. No matter how many times they've taken the plane up, if they just took it up and landed it to, you know, grab a bite to eat or something before they take it up again, they go around and they inspect everything to make sure that it's okay. And I went, isn't that interesting? We will apply that kind of thought process in some arenas, Mm -hmm. but not so much in others. Yeah, Relationship. Oh, I want to be in a relationship. I want to be happy. I want I want, I want. Okay. Oh, you look like you would be perfect. Let's do this. Well, but have I thought it through? Have we even had a conversation? What would a successful relationship look like to you? Right. Have we talked about, well, I don't want to talk about those kinds of things because it might get awkward. Well, it might get awkward because maybe we're not as much on the same page as we would hope we were. Well, now you get into something like a business. Well, when a business just goes off on a tangent because they thought it was a good idea,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: they hadn't thought it through, mm-hmm. no, that that could cost money. It could cost you the business. Yeah. So then you've got uh, a book come out, uh, The E-Myth Revisited, mm-hmm. okay, where he talks about... Getting your business to the point where it's franchisable, right? Whether you ever do it or not, wasn't the main thing. Could you? Mm-hmm. And when I was reading that book, I had a background in in flipping houses. Okay. And there was a certain formula. I want this house to be the most valuable house on this street, but not more than one dollar more than any other house, okay. or I'm throwing money away. I see. So I could invest into things in this home that nobody would ever pay for because of where the home is. Right. So it, it started dialing in my thing. Again, what's my end game?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I want to turn a profit, but I need to be paying attention along the way. What would be the right things to do to get the most value right. out of the property? And that's where end in mind, it's like, shouldn't that be something we were taught in grade school? What is your end in mind? Whatever it is you're doing. Right. Right. And obviously here we're talking,
1: we talk a lot about health and vitality. And I know personally, if you're not clear on where you want to go, there's for one, it's easy to fall into depression or just listlessness, just like a sense of of malaise. You're not really checking in. Mm-hmm. And you play the denial game in lots of ways uh, on a personal level. But, you know, now you're applying this to, to organizations.
0: Well, I mean, health is a perfect place to start that conversation. How many younger people throw caution to the wind <laughs> and, and whether it's, you know, a poor diet or lack of sleep, lack of exercise, drugs, alcohol, who knows what. And the rationale is, hey, it's not that big of a deal because I wake up tomorrow and I'm fine and I can keep going. I was there. I remember that. Then you get into your 40s and your 50s and your 60s. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, now it matters. But when I was in my teens and 20s, either nobody had really sat down and had a serious conversation with me or I just wasn't open to it if they were trying that what I was doing then will absolutely have an impact on me now so now I look back and go oh if I had it to do over again so when I'm around younger people I try not to be condescending or lecture them but I really try to come from the heart of going you guys you have no idea how much this is going to impact you right. later, so yeah. <laughs> I want you to have fun. I want you to have a good time, but if you're paying more on that price tag than what the experience is worth, okay. mm, and I'm telling you, health right now you take your health and well-being for granted because it's just there. Right. Down the road, it's something that needs to be fed and taken care of. So, yeah. <laughs> Diet and exercise and supplementation become more and more important conversations as time goes on. Right. Just maybe a little bit further on that. What was the shift that happened for you? What age did that light go on for you? Uh, It started for me in my late teens when I got involved with certain spiritual practices that tried to convince me that, that certain foods I was eating were bad. Okay. And so I remember when I decided to stop eating meat and I went into the market to go, okay, uh, I have no idea what a vegetarian diet looks like. So there were these uh, cans of Loma Linda veggie burger and Loma Linda veggie links. And so my plate looked almost identical to what it did before, Mm -hmm. but now it was vegetable protein instead of meat protein. And it didn't taste the greatest, but it wasn't the worst, but it started getting me questioning about things. And I guess because I always had that curious mind, I kept running into contradictory or controversial lines of information coming from medicine, from science, from people who are supposed to know stuff, going, they're not all agreeing on all these things, but wait a minute, on this point they do all agree, but they don't even realize they all agree. You know, the body needs a certain amount of water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody agrees on that. Right. But they never brought their heads together and go, well that's one thing we have in common. <laughs>
1: you know? Right.
0: And is it good quality water? Is it <laughs> So that's what started me on my thing. Well, part of my, uh, my adventure was living down in Mexico for a few months while I was doing the vegetarian thing. And I was reading this book, uh, Arnold Ert, The Mucusless Diet. And he was trying to convince me that I should be eating fruit and nuts, okay. period. Yeah. I was adventurous, and and (laughs) so I went, okay, and so I started eating fruit and nuts, and I felt great, it was wonderful, it was easy, it was simple, and so I thought, wow, I finally found my diet. Now I know where where I'm at. Well, then I came back to Southern California and went into a supermarket, and the fruits were like super... so much prettier the colors more vibrant and mm-hmm. and i was just like a kid at christmas going wow and within a matter of a week or two i was getting sick wow and talked to some people who knew about nutrition and told them everything that was going on and they said barry the the nutritional content of the foods you're eating here in california don't match what they were down in Mexico and they were talking about the glaciers and how they uh, took the nutrients out of the soil when they when wow. they created the, the San Joaquin Valley where mm-hmm. most of our vegetable fruits and vegetables were growing and this that and the other thing and how they're not producing as much, not near as much down in Mexico as here okay. and how the American Indians, most of the indigenous peoples, They would plant a crop one year, and then they would move to a different plot, and a different plot. And they wouldn't come back to that original plot for seven years because somehow they figured that that would allow the soil to rebuild its, its nutrients. Right. Well, we keep planting in the same piece of dirt decades after decades and we'll put things additives in to make the fruits and vegetables pretty and colorful to kill the bugs but nobody's putting anything in there to raise the nutritional content yeah it's all
1: presentation
0: and that's when i was introduced to supplementation Mm -hmm. that okay if, if you're not getting those ingredients somewhere Ideally, it would be great if you got it from the foods, but there's not too many sources where you can get the nutritional content out of the foods you need, so we need a little bit of help. So, I started taking vitamins. Mm -hmm. Curious mind kicks in. I keep reading this stuff. Well, if the supplements are giving the body the finished product of what it is looking for, it doesn't necessarily know what to do with that what it was really looking for was the raw ingredients to make that finished product itself. Mm -hmm. So I got introduced to the the difference between food grade or pharmaceutical grade Mm -hmm. and just off the shelf. And there was all this big to-do about trying to make supplements uh, more under the medical umbrella where you'd have to get a prescription for it and, and huge battle. But I started to understand There's nothing on, there's no law stating that a certain vitamin has to have inside what it says it has on the label unless it's stamped pharmaceutical grade. Wow. It hasn't gone through that testing. Well, pharmaceutical supplements cost more, but at least now you know. Right. you're getting the real thing if they're food grade that means to me that the body will will respond to it like as if I was eating a food mm-hmm. it's not some foreign substance right. so that's what got me interested in okay what, what are we doing and every time I look at a piece of food I can't help but wonder where was it grown where was it raised mm-hmm. you know it might look good smell good taste good but does it have what my body's really looking for right. yeah Fascinating.
1: And going back a little bit on it with the end in mind, um, recent project you're involved in is Befriend Fear. Mm. I bet you can talk about that a long time. A long, 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 long time. <laughs> um, and, and to just introduce one more notion um, as we talk about this, um, you're um, a skier. Yes.
0: And so it might be fun to... Which is really where that started for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was growing up as a teen whatever my buddies did I could do equally as well it wasn't like it was a competition but there was nothing that they could do that I felt like I couldn't do there was a couple of things I had never done I'd never gone hunting and a couple of my school friends their dads would take them on hunting trips and I used to always wonder what that would be like but you know hiking, biking, climbing we we all did everything so when someone my said hey you know do you want to go skiing <laughs> I, well, yeah, I love the mountains. I love the snow. Yeah. You know, if you guys will show me how to do that, that'd be awesome. So we go up to a local mountain range in, in Southern California and they went up to a black diamond and I'm riding the lift up and I'm just all kinds of excited because I love the mountains and the air and it just, oh, this was like a dream come true. And they say, hey, Barry, just follow us. And they take off. And I turned and looked down the hill and something inside of me froze. I mean, literally froze. I couldn't think. I couldn't feel. I couldn't move. And I have no idea. I'm guessing it was an hour, hour and a half later. Ski patrol comes along. And I was basically incoherent. So they put me in a sled and take me down. And I thought, okay, uh, I'll never do that again. (laughs) And so I seriously thought skiing was, you know, like this just ridiculously stupid sport for wealthy, pompous people who had no sensitivity or something i don't know but i was just off my list never again well then years later there was a radio station in southern california i think it was called the wave where early in the morning they would ask a question about um something to get the brain cells firing okay well the question that one morning was what do you think is the most sensually erotic sport and i'm thinking swimming, surfing, sailing, scuba diving, something to do with water and the fluidity. Mm-hmm. And, and they come back and they say, downhill skiing. I'm <laughs> like, wow. no, uh-uh, I don't think so. So the, you know, the early consultative mind started going around, hey, do you ski? Yeah. Well, how would you rate it in terms of life experiences? Mm-hmm. And every single person, it was like sex, food, skiing, sex, skiing, food. But I mean, it was always up there in the top three. Wow, and I'm like, okay, I am definitely missing this. And so, some of my my friends said, "Well, you never took a lesson. Maybe that's what you need." So I went and took a lesson and learned how to do that ridiculously wedge. And it's like, okay, at least on a bunny slope, I'm not going to die. Right. But sensually erotic, no, this is not happening but I kept wondering what is it inside of me? Cause you know, you're up there and you're seeing people and they're smiling and they're laughing and they're having the best time ever. You can tell. And I'm over here, you know, on, on the verge of a meltdown going, I'm living through this, but this is not fun. This right. is not enjoyable. And I kept going back and I kept going back to see, you know, what, what is it going to take for me to personally deal with this, this thing? And, Every once in a while, I would notice someone frozen in space on the side of a hill. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, (laughs) I know where they're at. So I would, you know, ski over to them and start talking to them. And they must have thought I was batshit crazy because it's like, I think I know what's going on with you. I think I know where you're at. And I'm just going to talk to you for a few minutes. And then if you want, I'll help you get down to the bottom and you're going to be okay. and, And they're looking at me like, who are you and how do you know what's going on inside of me? Uh, part of it is that I'm empathic. So I do pick up Mm -hmm. on those kinds of things in other people. And part of it is they were in a really bad place and someone was there and that's probably what they were wishing for is with somebody just kind of like Star Trek, Scotty, beam me up, just get me out of here. Well, how many times when I got them down to the bottom, they would say, well, would you go up and do that with me again? Wow. And I'm like, okay, I am so far away from being a ski instructor, it's not even funny, and yet I'm out with these people just talking about, well, what can we do so that we're not so afraid? Yeah. Well, years later, decided to move to Utah. This is like 18 years ago. And I thought, oh, I get to go ski at all these different resorts, you know, at least on the greens, that's all mm-hmm. I could do. And my brother said, well, why don't you teach? And I'm like, you've skied with me before. You know how bad this can be. Yeah. Why would you say that? And he said, what the resorts have is an abundance of hot dog skiers, mm-hmm. hot shots that can ski anything, but they can't necessarily teach. Right. What they need is people who are good teachers and are willing to learn how to ski mm-hmm. better. That's you. I had taught yoga, I had taught martial arts, so teaching people was something that I, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I looked around and I found a, a resort that was willing to put me through a training program mm-hmm. so that I could become a certified instructor. And 18 years ago, I started doing that. And when they put the jacket on me, it kind of like burned my skin because it's like, I am so not a ski instructor. Right. <laughs> anybody on this squad can ski circles around me but what I could do is I could identify people's fear factors and how that might be messing with them internally and I would start having a conversation with them about that and things would start to shift and change mm-hmm. now of course there's certain things you do have to do with your body at the right time and the right way but if you're in a state of fear it doesn't matter because you'll never get there you won't be able to use those tools right So I started developing a reputation of being a really good instructor because of that internal process. And so it became a fascination for me. And a number of years ago, I I came to the the realization that in, in teaching skiing, what what most instructors start off with is there's what we call the fall line that force of gravity mm-hmm. that's pulling you straight downhill. I'll explain it to students: if we were to put a ball on the ground and let it go, wherever that ball goes, that's the fall line. Mm-hmm. That's what's pulling on us. That's also what we're afraid of. Okay. So what the instructors will say is, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go on a diagonal tack right. across that. And then we're going to make a turn and then we're going to come back across. Well, we're not facing what we're afraid of. And now we're supposed to make this miraculous, you know, turn Mm -hmm. when we really don't know how to do that. And so I went, I've got a different idea. We can do this wedge thing and we can go right into the fall line Mm -hmm. and face it Mm -hmm. and go, yes, I'm afraid of you. But without you. There's no skiing. Yeah. Because if I get rid of you, we're on a flat level parking lot, and if something doesn't pull me or push me, yeah. there's no movement. So <laughs> rather than being afraid of you, how do I befriend you and use you for momentum without allowing you to have your way with me? Because mm-hmm. if I just go into the fall line and do nothing, eventually something bad's gonna happen. Right. But if I just make a turn, mm-hmm. oh, I can use you a little, and then thank you yeah. very much, and then I can use you again a little, and I can develop a relationship. Well, how much do I want to use you, and in what way? Okay. And so this whole idea of befriend fear just right. it became a fascination. Well, then I start looking around at other things people are doing. Going, is it the same thing? Okay. Are we afraid? of intimate relations Mm -hmm. because there's a force that's going to pull on us. And yet it's what we crave. Right. All of us. Right. Oh, well, maybe if we befriend that fear, yes, I want to have a relationship with you and how much and in what way and to what degree. Oh, now we're defining the terms of this rather than me just being afraid of it. Right. Business. There's all kinds of risk in business. Oh, what if we befriend that fear so that we can make calculated choices and decisions? Okay. Hmm. So I just started looking at more and more endeavors, going, it's part of being human, I suppose, that we have fear of things that we either don't understand, can't control, mm-hmm. You know don't know how to use to our to our best advantage well then why don't we start learning how to do that rather than just being afraid of it right i'm still afraid of the fall line if it's a double black diamond and i'm going too fast and i don't know what the terrain's like Mm -hmm. yeah my fear factor is gonna come up Mm -hmm. but as long as i go back to doing what i know how to do and keeping it at least in my semblance of Mm -hmm. control i can have an amazing time yeah so I've turned so many people's thought process around on the mountain, in relationship, in business, mm-hmm. by getting them to befriend the thing that they're afraid of or wrestling mm-hmm. with rather than trying to uh, run away from it or ignore it, right. deny it. Right. Um, how is it applied in the corporate
1: environment? I guess as an in both an individual and, say, with teams.
0: What... I'm afraid of is things like, what if you're smarter than me? What if you're more adept than me? Um, What if you're going to try to, you know, take my job? What if, what if we could say these are legitimate fears or I could befriend those fears Mm -hmm. and go, well, what could I learn from you and what could you learn from me? Right. So, For there to be a healthy team dynamic, you can put a a number of people on a committee or Mm -hmm. on a team, and by label, they're a team, but they're not functioning like a team. If they get to know one another, strengths, weaknesses, proclivities, now you've got the makings for a team dynamic. I see. How do we win more often as Mm -hmm. a whole rather than, well, I'm going to win whether you guys do or not. Right. Well, then that's not a team mentality. No. Is that where
1: maybe the idea of synergistic leadership, as you call it? Yeah. Is that where this...
0: How do we on? work together because synergy is a law of physics, mm-hmm. where this the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? Well, how would we create that? What would that look like? Right. How would we actually do that? Well, the law of synergy is that two or more individual components have to be able to stand on their own two feet and then come together in such a way that they produce that greater result. Mm -hmm. So can you stand confident in who you are and your abilities? Can I stand in mine? And then we come together. So it's very different than like a codependent Mm -hmm. where we're reliant on one another, but we're not producing a greater result. In fact, we're producing a lesser result. Right. Because we're feeding off of each other. The dominant, submissive Mm -hmm. thing. Right. They're both feeding off of each other. But if you get two people who are Mm co-creative, who are causative, now you've got something to work with. What what do we want to do? Right. And I think that's what I get really
1: excited about with your work is um, kind of, you might say, bringing spirituality into the workplace like the practice the practice whether we call it you know the psychological spiritual practice of of refining ourselves cultivating ourselves and you and i have both um been drawn to you might say mystical arts um, certain disciplines of meditation and things like that and it's easy to be drawn into the, the seduction of the monastery you know Put put everything away, put the world away, and go into this this retreat. And um, I really love what you your idea of actually bringing the practice into the workplace because it's probably the the most common place for all of us yeah. to come from um, in this modern era.
0: I've pretty much gone from one extreme to the other. In, in terms of this particular topic. In the beginning, when I was more on my spiritual trek, I thought that business was the Antichrist. It was stealing the heart and soul of, of humanity. wasn't quite sure how economy was going to work without business, but I was absolutely convinced it was business that was ruining everything. Now, it's not... Even so much bringing spirituality into the workplace, because the the more I've come to understand what spirituality really is, when, when you get away from the belief system of what you think it is, spirituality has everything to do with how conscious are you at any given moment about how you're showing up and how you're influencing everything in the environment around you. That is spirituality. It doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a label. There's no one to pray to about it. No one to ask forgiveness. It's just, how do you show up? How do you play the game of being you? Personally, interpersonally, and business. And they went, oh. So it's really all about showing up like a human being. And that's when the light went on for me because I was doing all this psycho-spiritual counseling with people and then realizing that a week or two weeks later when they'd come back for another session, we were repeating and regurgitating an awful lot. And that was frustrating for me and I felt like it was frustrating for them as well because there was a lot of well, what you should have done was Mm -hmm. and then I started thinking about it going, hmm, we spend What, 40, 50, 60 hours a week at work doing this thing we call a job, our business. It's a controlled environment, Mm -hmm. much more so than on our personal life. So if we came to co-agreement that we were going to try one idea, one practice, one way of treating each other, talking to each other, passing the ball back and forth, and everybody agreed to do that, we're going to reinforce that okay. so much more. And went, this is the place mm-hmm. to achieve enlightenment because it's the laboratory. It's the cauldron where we get to see, does it work? Yeah. If I treat you differently, does it produce a different result? If we communicate differently, does it produce a different result? Whereas I can go off into meditation, go on a retreat, have all kinds of wonderful experiences, and then come back and have to deal with you while I'm still starting from square one. Yeah. I have no idea how you're going to respond to react. But if, I, if I've been working on it mm-hmm. with you, right. oh, we're doing this in real time. Mm-hmm. And then I yeah. started going back into some of the business books that I'd, I'd read and going, I think this is what some of these business gurus, leaders were pointing at. Okay. That it's not that they're dissing, you know, health or fitness or meditation or anything, but they're all about applying it yeah. in their everyday life because that's their spirituality. Yeah. And they went, okay, I want to be on that team. Yeah. I want to be one of those people. And most of the time I've run into very few people who say, I don't want to be more conscious or more aware. Mm-hmm. everybody wants it, even though they may not have the cognitive understanding of what that means. Right. We all want to be a little bit smarter. We all want to be a little bit more adept. Mm-hmm. We all want our confidence level to, to grow. Well, that's developing our spirituality. Oh, okay, cool. Let's, <laughs> let's do this.
1: Wow. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of the tangible the place where you're, you're working on something that feels a lot like a garden um, where you're getting results and you're seeing results and you're getting feedback in its very moment to moment versus this abstract state of experience you might create for yourself that is pretty ungrounded to the physical world and the social world
0: or, or its expression in, in professional life We've With- For some reason, you know, we've heard that that saying, you know, the division of church and state, you know, don't uh, don't bring your personal problems to work with you. And then we come home. It's like, don't bring your job home with you. Mm -hmm. These have become like norms. Like that's how it's supposed to be. Right. I don't think human beings have a way of become being this human being here and this human being here. We can act out different parts, different personas. but. Inside, It's the same me. I'm just mm-hmm. wearing a different hat. Uh-huh. So why not be honest about that? And if I can develop enhanced skills while I'm making a living, I get to bring those skills with me wherever I go. I yeah. own them. They're mine. So I can share them with my significant other, my kids, my extended family, you know, in in social political world. And it almost seems like we've been approaching it the other way around. Mm -hmm. Well, if I can be a good person in all these other places, now I can bring it to work with me. And it seems like people struggle with that because then they get pushed back in the workplace which is telling me it isn't quite soup yet. You're trying to superimpose a belief system on something because most businesses are physical constructs. They produce a product or service that has to meet certain specifications, demands, and and so it's not um, faith or belief oriented. If you want to make money, you're going to have to do something in a certain way in order to produce that result that's why I think it's the perfect testing grounds well does this really work because if it works here I can take it anywhere Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's really exciting Um, so you want to tell
0: tell us your age I just turned 65 this last January
1: (laughs) when I heard that (laughs)
0: recently (laughs) I was pretty surprised yeah what's your what's your secret to youth and vitality well hopefully i've been doing a few good things i wish i would have done more sooner the other thing is this this i remember as a kid looking at older people and it bothered me they didn't look healthy they didn't look happy and and i just had this question like am i going to become one of them because it seems like everybody's on this conveyor belt moving towards that where we're right. kind of old and decrepit. Okay. And I was like, I d I don't like the way those people feel. Yeah. They're they're scared, they're they're in pain, they're 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 not enjoying a quality of life. And so as I was reading stuff like uh Deepak Chopra some 30 or more years ago and he was talking about we have yet to define exactly specifically what it is in the body that starts the aging process Mm -hmm. the best we can come up with is it's an idea Mm -hmm. that we all seem to co-agree on oh we're all going to live to be 60 or 80 years old and so somewhere along the process we set that time clock into motion Mm -hmm. I'm like, so you're suggesting if we could readjust that time clock, it could be different. Hmm. Okay. And so I just, I don't know if you've ever entertained the idea. Okay. I'm 65 and I may live to be 80, 90, hundred years old. So technically I'm in the last trimester of my life. Right. Okay. A little bit late to start certain endeavors because there mm-hmm. just won't be enough time or or physical vitality to accomplish them. Well, what if we said, no, you're going to live to be 200 years old. And now you're 50 or 60. Right. Well, you're barely a fourth of the way. Mm -hmm. So good for you for whatever you've accomplished so far. What do you want to do next? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't think twice about going and getting a degree that might take me six, eight, ten years to get. If I knew I was going to live to be 200, uh-huh. if I was going to live to be 300, I would do it in a heartbeat. Right. I would go try this business. I would go travel here. I would, and I went, oh, so this this finite lifespan concept really does influence what I think is okay for me to entertain uh-huh. doing or trying or mm, Well, what if I was to play the game, what if? Yeah. (laughs) And just go for it anyway. I think that's been part of it. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that there's there's a a stigma between generations that older people resent younger people Mm -hmm. and younger people resent older people. So especially when you go into a workplace environment, there's palpable tension there. Right. And I'm looking at it going, okay, what is it that most older people want more than anything? If they had a billion dollars that they would spend most of it Mm -hmm. to have their youth and vitality. Yeah, It's like, come on, people, let's just get honest here. And they have it. And we're pissed at them because they have it, and we don't. And so we can point fingers that they're misusing it or they're in denial, whatever, whatever. But we want what they have. Well, guess what? When older people spend more time around younger people, it makes you feel younger. Okay. Yeah. And younger people are typically not near as entrenched in their belief systems or ways of doing things. And so it's more likely that they could see an alternative way of doing something, a creative idea that's never been thought of before, because they're a little bit more open. And those of us who are older and in business, isn't that what we want? Mm -hmm. That new, fresh idea? Oh, yeah. That, that perspective that could really make something good happen. So why would we not want to hang out with them and be honest? I love being around you because you make me feel younger and I love your ideas. Yeah. Why is that so hard for us to say? Yeah. Because I have to protect my ego that I'm older and wiser than you and you should be looking up to me. Why? About what? That doesn't make any sense. <sighs> well, now we can flip it. Okay. You talk to most younger people, they're resentful of older people because they're demanding of that authoritative respect, whether they've earned it or not. Mm -hmm. And all too many of them really haven't earned it. Mm -hmm. We've made a mess of so many things, and yet we still want to be taken seriously. Yeah. Well, if someone was older and they've been paying attention, there's a greater likelihood they may have acquired some wisdom along the way. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what younger people want is the wisdom without all the authoritative crap. Oh yeah. Just share what you learned. (laughs) Save me some wear and tear on my journey. Right. You know, what's around that bend that I don't know about. So if both would come off their high horses, there's, there's so much to offer one another. Yeah. And so again, when I go into a, a workplace environment, I've got the uh, the magic wand to to poke and prod and 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 provoke those kinds of dialogues mm-hmm. by confronting them on their own stuff. Yeah, you really want what he has, and you really want what <laughs> he has. So if you guys are willing to get over it, this could be a mutually beneficial thing. Or you can keep doing what you're doing and. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Both of you told me in private it's it's insufferable, right. and we can, we'll continue to be so, or we could try something different. Yeah.
1: I think another secret to youth is doing what you love.
0: And I, I'm, I suppose you really love what you do. I think there's two sides to that, and I think maybe that's where some people get tripped up. There's doing what you love, but how many people know what that is? So, I've asked people, point blank, what do you really love doing? And Mm -hmm. they go blank. Okay. Well, traveling, watching movies. It's like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, in life. Yeah. Well, Well, I don't know. Okay. So, I suggest sometimes flipping that. Okay. Love what you do. Yeah. So, if you love what you're doing, you're going to bring a different mindset to it. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to find out more about well, how much does this feed me? But I have the power to bring love to anything. Yeah. Getting love from other things or people—that's mm-hmm. an unknown. That's yeah. that's not something that I have immediate control right. over. Right. So you've got a job that you think is tedious or meaningless or whatever. Try loving it to see what what skills are you learning? Mm-hmm. Is this a stepping stone that's preparing you for something else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember being told so many times growing up that, that I was like a pinball in, in a pinball machine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was doing this, and then I was doing this, and then I was doing this. And I would listen to these people because I respected them and trusted them. And I went, right. they're right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just... Not very together. I don't have a game plan. This is not making sense. You know, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just pick a lane and, and stick with it? Right. Because that's what academia was telling me I should do. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting into psycho-spiritual counseling. And I could relate to so many people and so many of their experiences. People go, "How how is it no matter what I talk to you about, you seem like you have some kind of analogous Story And it's like, yeah, how did that happen? Oh, because I've been involved in so many different things.
1: Yeah.
0: Then I become a business consultant and it followed me there too because I've done different businesses. I've been involved with different things. So I have points of reference that I can talk to people from that help it make more sense. Right. Well, a consultant that can't do that... Even though they know stuff and understand stuff, if they can't communicate it in a way that the people who hired them can understand and use, they pretty much suck as a consultant. So, yes, the experience is of value, but the ability to communicate that experience, I think that's equal or greater value. Right. Okay, okay. So that's the, the loving what you do mm-hmm. and then see what it adds, yeah. adds up to. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I think maybe
0: just wrap up here. The,
1: the end in mind, which was what we started talking about, um, what I'm interested in, you know, what I, how I got into branding uh, was, you might say self-knowledge, like, like trying to figure out what is the end Or, you know, what is my essence? What gets me really turned on, really super clear and on purpose? And I'm really interested in uncovering that. And I do processes to help uncover that with other people um, and just reveal it so it's more apparent. Um, Did you have to go through your own branding process to, to come to this end in mind idea? Uh, Like self-discovery process where you basically landed on this and it became part of your purpose and you're kind of living and embodying it
0: now well again yes and I I think there's uh, a caveat to that most people are familiar with the GPS system Mm -hmm. as soon as you turn it on the global positioning system tells you exactly where on planet earth you are but that's all it tells you until you program in a destination it doesn't know what to do for you so it can say oh well you're right here in Salt Lake City, Utah Mm -hmm. great where do you want to go oh I want to go to New York as soon as I plug in new york now the gps system goes to work and it starts plotting routes would you like to go the scenic route the fastest route okay there's some obstructions here or there now it can do its job so we start driving on our way to new york and it can actually tell us approximately when we should arrive as long as we keep doing what we're doing what happens when we get off the highway Well, it's going to tell us. It tells us we are no longer on track to go where we thought we were going. We need to turn around or make a turn and that. Or if we needed to get off to go get some gas or food or there was something we wanted to go see, when we're done, it will redirect us back to our route. Well, it makes travel really enjoyable because we can do any number of things and still end up in new york if we never pay attention to that we could end up in miami
1: yeah.
0: going well how did we get here and why aren't we in new york well let's see we wanted to do this and then this and then this and then this and then this and, then this. and here's where we are yes. on the way to new york we are absolutely entitled to change our mind Mm -hmm. and go you know what I want to go to Chicago or Boston or you know what I think Miami is a good idea but we're making a conscious choice we didn't end up there by accident so when I first branded I thought this was a done deal for life and then rebranded and rebranded and it's now to the point where when I entertain a rebranding process I actually get more excited rather than resentful because wow. oh, really again uh, how many times do we have to do this and now it's like oh every time I do it it gets better and better and better because it's refining it's right. getting me closer and closer to that doing what I love Yeah but I had to keep practicing loving what I do in order to bring that closer and closer to me. So I don't think people's branding needs to be 100% perfect, but what's the best you can come up with right here, right now? Mm -hmm. And then are you willing to revisit it? Right. Six months, 12 months down the year. I know it could be a little bit of a seemingly painful process, Mm -hmm. but do you still want to go to New York? Yeah. Well, you know, for some reason, I took off on this journey and started learning to speak Spanish. And now I really want to go to Mexico. Well, let's see if that makes sense. If it does, there's nothing that says we absolutely have to go to New York. Let's go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. But we made the choice for a yeah. good reason. Yeah. So that's what's happened right. with me. And, and I encourage people to get clear on their vision and their mission. And then revisit it. Mm -hmm. Don't do what I did and think, okay, well now that we've done that, it's a done deal forever and ever. No, just for now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The most successful businesses, I believe the most successful relationships and the most successful people revisit their own vision mission Uh over and over again to make sure, is this still the best version of me I can come up with?
1: Yeah.
0: I love it.
1: Um, and just little curiosity here. So, what is it that makes it so hard for people to know what they want or what that end is? What are these? What I know that's a big question.
0: It really it's is. These, yeah, it but really it's is. a really
1: curious question because there's definitely areas in our lives that we just deliberately ignore or clueless about. <laughs>
0: so much of our social societal cultural construct is based on belief who we think we are who we think we've been who we think we're going to become and the brain and the mind that operates the brain has these these issues of bias so there's unconscious bias, there's subconscious bias, there's confirmation bias, there's cultural bias, systemic bias, familiarity bias. There's all these biases, which is how the brain deciphers what's in front of me, what does it look like, sound like, what's my experience of it. That's how the computer is processing information and experience. You could have a five-year-old that's highly intelligent, Incredibly creative. Just the coolest kid. Try talking to that five-year-old about what's going on in international politics. National politics. Mm -hmm. And they're going to glaze over. They're not a stupid kid. But they do not have the cognitive languaging capacity to understand what you're even pointing at, let alone try to process it now you come back and talk to that kid when they're 10. Well, they're probably going to be able to pick up on a little bit more than they were when they were 5. Okay. 15, oh, we're starting to have a little bit of a conversation. 20, a little bit more. At some point, you could actually point at them and go, I think they get it. I think right. they realize what we are all up against and now they're part of helping create the solution rather mm-hmm. than just being oblivious to it. I think that's part of the human condition. Makes sense. Is developmental. If you don't know what else is possible, how can you imagine it? How can you entertain it? If you've never imagined yourself being healthy or happy or in love or successful, I could talk to you until I'm blue in the face about why all those things are such good ideas. And your brain is more like the five-year-old going, I hear words coming out of his mouth. I see some glimpses of pictures here and there, but I don't understand what he's on about. Me, experiencing those things, no point of reference. Yeah. So, for us to help people have the experiences, not just the education, the experiences where you can go, wow, I like the way this feels. I like the way doing this makes me feel. Well, now I could talk to you about, well, you know what, Christopher, if you were to continue doing that somewhere down the road, it could open up all these different opportunities. Wow. Now I've got a little mini micro point of reference to go. That's kind of a cool idea. That can become... Fantasy that can become a dream that can become a desire worth pursuing, right? That's where I feel like we could help one another Mm -hmm. by giving them the ingredients Mm -hmm. to dream bigger rather than just telling them you're bad, wrong, and stupid for not dreaming bigger. And they're like, I have no idea what he just said, (laughs) but it made me feel real bad. Okay, I thought I was missing something and mm-hmm. now he just convinced me I really am and I still don't know what to do tomorrow morning to make it any better. So I think we could be yeah. much more useful to one another mm-hmm. uh to help yeah. improve the human condition. This is you might say a
1: more visionary inspired culture where possibilities are seeded there they're plant not necessarily I mean like you know, Kennedy saying in ten years we're gonna we're gonna put mm-hmm. a man on the moon without any idea how we're gonna do it necessarily, but just instilling the vision. Well
0: he's he's a perfect example because visionary is absolutely a part of the mix. No vision, no dream. Visionary without practicality, nothing's ever gonna happen. It just stays An abstraction. So, yes, he made that. He put out a vision that people went, wow, how can you even say that? But what was the very next thing he did? Created NASA. Yeah. Okay, you people are charged with making that happen. That's being causative. That's setting it into motion. Mm -hmm. So we need the vision and the causality in order for good things to happen. Yeah. So some, depending on the age of someone and, and their their cognitive wherewithal, we might be able to give them a vision and then set something into motion. I find that all too often, setting something into motion and then shining a light on the vision, once, once they're engaged in it, they're having the experience, much easier for them to wrap their mind around. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the movie uh, What the Bleep? yeah there there was one scene in that movie that I, I wish every person on planet Earth would, would be exposed to where the shaman on this this tropical island okay who had never been visited supposedly by any other people from anywhere else was sitting on the beach and he noticed a disturbance on the horizon line of the ocean but he couldn't figure out what it was but he kept staring at it and pondering and meditating and eventually he saw the ships, okay, that there's actually something floating on the water, which they didn't really know about, and it seems to be coming closer. Well then he brought someone else to the shoreline and when he pointed at it and described it, mm-hmm. they were able to see it. Okay. That's what we need to That's nice. do yeah. is is how do we point at something and describe something to someone else in such a way that they understand it because see too much of esoterics and 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 uh theosophy well until you speak my language i can't share my knowledge with you mm-hmm. really i think it's the other way around I think it's my job that if I really think I know something, how could I possibly convey that to you in a way that you will understand and do something useful with it? Right. That's how we raise our kids. Yeah. Well, once you're an adult, then I'll tell you how the world works. No, we break it down to them every step of the way so that they get smarter and stronger and more adept. How do we do that with other people? Hey, I have this awareness of something, and I'm having this idea that you're not aware of what I'm aware of. Okay, how would I go about bringing you to that awareness? Beating you into it? Eh, That's not going to work. Condescending you into it? Nah, that's not going to work. How could I get you interested, intrigued, fascinated? to (gasps) Hey, it's like, oh, does it even matter that you know that I'm the one who did that? Or does it matter more that I caused that to happen in mm-hmm. some way? And that's that's a leader. That's a true leader.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of heart and compassion there to bring people up to what they've seen on
0: top on that mountaintop. Yeah. So again, you asked about fear. If I'm the owner, the 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 C- CEO, the you know, the corporate executive and you're a bright shining star coming up the ranks well then it's possible for me to have a fear that you could replace me you could do better than me so that's going to set up a confrontational adversarial kind of a thing if i can befriend that fear and go I'm pretty good at what I do. And you're looking like you're going to be really good at what you do. Why don't we join forces? Mm -hmm. Why don't I take you under my wing? Because if I could really get you to do what I know how to do, that's going to open up doors for me to do even greater things. Did you ever see the movie? Um, I I love scenes Mm -hmm. in movies Mm because they depict things so strongly. Uh, Taurus Bulba. No, with Yul Brenner and oh um, uh, Tony Curtis, and they're Russian Cossack warriors. So they're going around on their horses, and every once in a while, Yul uh, Brenner, the the Cossack leader, would take his son Tony Curtis and throw him into the river, and all the the warriors would just crack up laughing. They thought that was the funniest. Well, Tony was pretty humiliated. Okay, yeah. well now he's he's more of a grown man, and they get into it, and Tony just finally blows the fuse, picks his dad up and throws him into the river. Dead silence. Mm. And he turns around and looks at all these warriors and goes, okay, maybe that was the stupidest thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. And they erupted in the most cheerest, joyous celebration The father had raised his son to be even stronger than he was. Mm -hmm. So now he could, the son could take the father's place as the rightful leader of the tribe. And I remember looking at that going, that seems like the natural progression. That's Mm -hmm. how it should be. And we've created this thing. I'm your father. I'm your elder. And you're going to respect me until the day I die. Yeah well, where's the part of me helping you grow to become bigger and better and stronger? And and how much glory that would bring to me that I'm the one who caused that to happen. Mm -hmm. Much more mature. And I think in business, if I can bring you to a place where you can do what I can do as good or better than me, well, that opens the door for me to do something else. But maybe I'm afraid of doing something else or new Mm -hmm. because I haven't revisited what it was like in the beginning when I got that going. Now I've got comfortable again doing what I... So there's these fears that are just everywhere and we can either use them as fuel or use them as excuses to stay stuck and be right where we are. Yeah. Well, gosh, Barry, this has been fascinating conversation today totally
1: enjoyed it me too and i think we'll have to do more of this and we can we can dive into some really specific topics next time
0: absolutely absolutely
1: well thank you thank you